A few weeks ago, my nine-year-old was given an assignment here from school to write an how-to essay, but they had to get their topic approved by the teacher. He asked the teacher if he could write on how to make his sister mad. (laughs) Now, the teacher approved that topic with the understanding that this was all just in jest, of course, that he would not carry those things out. But let me tell you, that nine-year-old lives by those words. (laughs) Do you live by words, certain words? The doctor gives you some instructions to follow. Do you follow them? You say you're on a diet. Do you follow it? Maybe you made a certain promise or commitment to somebody. Do you live by those words? Now we recognize that at times we struggle to to be faithful to those commitments, to live by the words we say we are going to live by. Sometimes we do quite well, sometimes not so well. And that's true spiritually as well. This month we've been looking at certain key words that Christians live by. Faith, hope. Today we want to look at what our life is like when we live out of love. For that was Jesus' command to his disciples that we love one another. The Apostle John expanded on that when he wrote his first letter. Let's take a look at his words. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Love. What is love? The world really struggles with this. The world sees love maybe as some outward appearance of of beauty and then our attraction to it. We love that. Or or something that can be done for us. Oh, and then we love that particular gadget. Love may simply be described as a special feeling that we have when when we're with a special somebody or or attracted to someone. If you think about all of those things, that that those definitions of love become very self-centered, don't they? Love becomes defined by what we want and what we think something should be. But that's not true love. The scriptures show us what true love is. And I'd like us to work with this definition of true love, of biblical love. It is a self-sacrifice, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one who is loved. Let me say it again. It's a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself 
in seeking the highest good of the one who is loved. Now that definition of love isn't spelled out that succinctly in Scripture, but it's definitely what Scripture teaches because it comes from God himself. That's what John said. Love comes from God. Let's take a minute, look at that definition, and see how indeed God loves that way. Love is self-sacrificing. John told us that God showed his love to us. He sent his Son to save us. We're all familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world, and that word so, we sometimes think means, oh, so much. But it really is, God loved the world so. That is, God loved the world in this way, that he gave his only son. He gave up his son. And it wasn't just a matter of sending him out of the house, so to speak, sending him away from heaven so he'd be on earth for a while. God gave up his son in turning his back on his son, whom he made to be the curse of sin for us. That was the sacrifice God made for us. Jesus commented on that in the words we had before. Greater love has no one than this, than that he lay down his life for others. And that's exactly what Jesus did. It was a sacrificing of himself. Knowing what he would go through, knowing what he would have to endure, that didn't stop him because he wanted to do it for us. Love is a caring commitment. God cares for us. He made the promise, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So no matter what we experience in life, no matter what turmoil we might go through, God is there. He hasn't abandoned us. He is present with us. And with that presence comes his provision, comes his guidance, and his protection. He assures us that he always hears our prayers and that he always answers them with answers that maybe aren't always the way we want it to be, but they're always in keeping with his will, which is to seek the highest good. Now, God's commitment is a faithful one and an eternal one. You can find it on the first pages of Scripture, and you can see it active in your life today, right at this very moment. In fact, the Scriptures tell us that God's commitment to us started already before the world was even created. And it will continue on forever in eternity. God is faithful, the Scriptures say. He cannot deny himself. His commitment is 110% solid to care for us. And, and God shows that. God is not a bunch of hot air. God is not just a bunch of empty promises or, or words in a book. What God says, he does. He shows us that love. That love is always focused on our highest good. That highest good is that we be in a perfect relationship with him. 
You see, our sins disqualify us from that. Our sins separate us from God. We cannot be in the presence of a holy God, nor can a holy God be in, pre- in, in, the, in our presence. But God, who is love, doesn't want it to be that way. He loves us. He wants us to be with Him. He wants Himself to be with us. So seeking our highest good, He sacrificed His own Son who took upon himself our sins and suffered the wrath of God for our sins so that you and I will never have to experience that. He suffered death so that he could rise again and conquer death to live forever so that you and I too will rise and live forever. That's the highest good. And God says nothing, nothing you experience will ever separate you from that love. And so everything we go for, go through, God works for our good, for that highest good. We are the ones whom he loves. And the scriptures puts it so clear. While we were still sinners, while we were still rebelling against God, he loved us and sent his son to save us. Now, the world may have its various definitions of love, and give all sorts of examples of what love might be. And oftentimes you get the impression that we have to meet certain qualifications, there are certain standards, or certain ways we have to look or be, or things we have to accomplish in order to be loved. But you look at the scriptures, and there you see true love, and you recognize you are the object of that love, just the way you are. God loves you so much that he gave Jesus to make you his child forever. And that's the reason then we gather to thank and to praise him for that love. That's the reason we come together to be encouraged in that love as the world tries to beat us up and to tell us God doesn't love or or to change our definition of love. And then, when we are full of that love, we can do what he commands. To love others. Because we know what that love is. So, why do we love? The answer is simple. Because God is love. That's what John said. Those who love know God. Because God is love. That's his nature. That's just who he is. You know, uh, my, my nine-year-old, yes, will try to get his sister mad. That's just his nature. Not that he's mean-spirited. He does it just because he likes to be funny. He's a goof. He's a clown. That's his nature, okay? So when he tries to hide his sister's cell phone or threatens to take down her posters of her boy band in her bedroom, he's just doing that because he's a goof, okay? That's just his nature. Well, God is love. That's his nature, That's just all that comes from God is his love for us. Then because of that love, we as children imitate that love. Isn't that what children do? Uh, My oldest son is all messed up. He's a Cubs fan because his mother is a Cubs fan. You see, children imitate their parents. And so we too, knowing God's love, 
will imitate that love. That's exactly what John said. He said, dear friends, since God has so loved us, that is, with that self-sacrificing, that caring commitment that he shows, we're also going to love one another. It's just going to be the natural outcome of having God's love in us. St. Paul put it this way, follow God's example, therefore, or, or the old NIV said, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now that's why we love God, but we recognize there's also some challenges there, right? Some uh, hard times doing that? Because we have a sin nature. A nature that says you have to be first. Things have to go your way. Things have to meet your standards. You don't have to be so worried about other people. Let them take care of themselves. That's that sin nature inside of us. And the devil who wants us to be selfish and not concerned about the needs of others. So we've got a battle. That sin that lives in us is a strong force. Sin is a strong force. We recognize what it does in our life. But it's only the second strongest force in this world. The strongest force is God's love. And God's love has overcome sin and this world. And God's love lives in us. So to love God, to love like God commands, simply bask in his love. (laughs) Just remind yourself of what it is. Think about it. Reflect on it. And then open your eyes and with faith. See how God is loving you. Now, the devil doesn't like that. Understand that. The devil is going to try to mess that up. The devil is going to try to blind us so that we don't see God's love, that we question what he is doing and doubt it. Don't listen to him. God's love for you is real. God's love for you is all around you. God's love is in you. You have it. And you cannot be separated from it. That's God's guarantee. And then, as you look around and and see God's love, see the other people around you whom God also loves. Spouses, children, parents, co-workers, fellow students, your neighbors. And then be reminded of God's command. Love one another. Now, how do we do that? A simple way is to simply say, well, I'm going to imitate Christ. (laughs) Imitate Christ. The Apostle Paul spelled it out pretty simplistically for us. Let's listen to his words from Colossians chapter 3. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Uh, Let's summarize that with four simple points. First of all, be caring. Paul says, clothe yourselves. Just as if you, just as like you put on clothes, 
Clothe yourselves with these qualities. First, he said compassion. Compassion is having an understanding for other people. Knowing what they're experiencing. Feeling what they're experiencing. And desiring to help. Then he said, after compassion, to clothe yourselves with kindness. That's now taking that heart of understanding and putting it into action. It's having compassion for the other person that now shows itself in action, just like God, who had compassion on us and then acted out of that compassion to help us. And he says, clothe yourselves with humility. Humility means not thinking of yourself and your needs first, but thinking of the needs of others, putting them above you. When you can do that, when you can clothe yourselves with that compassion, that understanding of others and their needs, and then being willing to take action to help them in their need, putting their needs first, you are caring. Then he talks about forbearing. He speaks of how we can deal with other people. He says, clothe yourselves with gentleness. That word gentleness in the Greek was a word uh, that was used to describe a, a soothing wind or a healing medication. It wasn't talking about a strong wind that would blow somebody down. It wasn't talking about a powerful medication that would knock somebody out. But it was talking about what was soothing and gentle and healing. That's the way we are to deal with other people. He said, clothe yourselves with patience. Literally, the word was long-suffering. Now, that doesn't mean, oh, I just got to put up with that person. But it means that you bear up with them. That is, that you carry their burdens and help them. He says, bear with one another, helping them in their times of need. That's forbearing. And then he speaks of forgiveness. Because he knows that one of the obstacles that gets in the way of, of loving others is when we've been hurt. You know, what happens when somebody hurts us? What happens when we have a grievance with somebody? When we get upset. And we say things like, well, I'm never talking with that person. I'm never going to work with them. Or it's going to be a long time before you see me getting along or being in the same room with that person. In fact, we might even think, well, this is how I'm going to get even. Or we maybe start talking about the other person. Did you know what they did? You see, we have ways of not loving, not forgiving when grievances come up. And Paul says, be forgiving, just as the Lord has forgiven you. And that word forgive means throw it away. Remove it. Get rid of it. Just as the Lord has removed your sins from his record, so remove those grievances that you have with others. That is a challenge. That is a challenge. And that's why the Lord put that petition in the Lord's Prayer that he teaches us to pray, forgive us as we forgive others. In other words, help us, Lord, to forgive others just as you forgive us. Forgiveness. That doesn't mean tolerating sin, though. It means working to correct the situation, but keeping that from breaking down relationships and putting up walls. Rather, he wants us to work for a spirit of unity. He says, bind all these things together with love in a spirit of unity. He wants us to be accepting and welcoming. 
Not to see our differences, but to see our oneness. Not to cause separation, but to bring each other together to help in a spirit of harmony, to respect and honor and to welcome one another. Think of that as a series of concentric hearts, with God's love being at the very center. And from that flows, then, the caring commitment that we will have for others, which is going to show itself in how we deal with others, that that forbearing and in forgiving and in welcoming and accepting others. Oh, how our lives could be so different if we would just take this biblical model of love and put it into practice, this self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the one who is love. Think of how our lives could be better if we demonstrated that kind of love in our marriages. Marriages where you have that, that close, intimate relationship of two people. And yes, there are going to be rubs sometimes when one's desires or wants are not met or there's differences of opinions or whatever it might be. And yet God calls us to be understanding, and to be patient, to be caring, to see the needs of the other and to be willing to sacrifice to meet those needs. Oh, how our marriages could be thriving if we lived with that kind of love. And in our homes, in our parenting, if parents would be patient and humble, putting the needs of the children first before their needs, recognizing their responsibility to instruct and to guide, and to be forgiving and encouraging. Think of how our, our relationships could be at work or at school, when we are honoring and respecting of others and seeking their highest good to reflect the love of God for them in how we talk and interact with them. And even here at church, how we could live together in a spirit of harmony, how we could work together and bring more people into the family of God by welcoming them, by saying hello to them, by talking to them and knowing that they are loved and accepted and wanted here. All of that, God's love, we put it into practice how our lives could be so blessed. Love one another. Now that is a good how-to essay assignment. But more than just an essay, more than just words, it's a good assignment to live by. Amen.